0: Welcome to Twentieth Century Geek, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back a 20th Century Geek. I'm your host, Scott Weatherly, and today I'm going to be joined by friend of the show, Julian Darius of Sequart, to talk about The Meta Barons, a comic book series that was a spin-off of The Incal, a book done by uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky and uh, Mobius on art. Uh, now, this is a saga, a multi-generational saga, this comic, and if you think they've got it tough in the Skywalker family, you wait till you meet this clan. It's incredible. This is an incredible book, uh, and I'm hoping you're going to enjoy us talking about it. So uh, jump in your spaceships, strap in, and let's jump into the Meta Barons. <laughs> So before we do get into the story and, uh, and unpack it and everything, uh, first off, let's, let's because yeah, Julian, you, you sort of said you, you recommended this um, and, and it, you know, I thought I'll take it on and, and we'll, we'll I'll give it a read and we'll talk about it. So can you sort of give an overview in a nutshell, if that's possible, uh, about what we're going to talk about today? So this is um, Alejandro uh, Adoros, Adoros, how do you spell it, say his name? I do know how to say it. His vote is the well, Metabarons.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, he, he's also the guy who tried to do Dune. And yes. so some people know him from the, the Jodorowsky's Dune. So I've always heard of it as Jodorowsky.
0: Mm, Jodorowsky, that's it, yeah. So, so um, what is this in a nutshell?
1: Well, well really, I mean, this, this is a... Meta Barons is a spin-off of the In And mm. so, you know, Jodorowsky and Mobius, you know, very celebrated... Um, you know, French sci-fi illustrator did the incal as
0: Meta Baron, the Meta Meta Barons, the original or series, the original off. There was a, I was very lucky. The timing was amazing. There was a sale on Comicsology, and uh, all, all eight, I got all eight of them for twenty. Um, yeah, all eight of them for about fifteen pounds. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, but I would love these in hard edition. I'd love them in th- th- these. Are, these are books where they look great. I've got to say, Jim Jimenez's art is incredible on that those first eight uh, books and okay we'll get into that but and they look great on a digital representation but as because, it, because it's panel by panel really when you're reading it I'd love to see these in a great sort of uh, physical um, binding so I do think I'm going to end up getting one of the hardback editions because it, it's such a good series to read
1: yeah I still I still have been I maybe get it on sale in the States mm-hmm. for like forty five dollars. I think it lives for like fifty something. But I mean it's eight issues but those are
0: Get into the series as well. There's something just to, just to sort of highlight is the European that you know, some of our listeners might not really understand because everyone knows of, of Marvel and DC and even of Image and Dynamite and Boom and all the American publishers, um, and maybe even some of the smaller like British ones like you know, Rebellion that do 2000 AD or Titan Comics, but it's never sort of a, it's 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 a it's not really acknowledged really in America or Britain to a great extent, but there's a massive massive comic culture in Europe, in France, uh, Italy, uh, Germany, Spain. These countries have got a massive comic culture and have have got some really incredible European comics that just don't seem to escape the continent, do they? No, and I think that's very sad because, Mm. you know, I mean, of course,
1: I, as an American, and, you know, I've studied French, and so I can read the French edition, and you know, I remember when I first went to France, that was one of the main things that I wanted to check out was like, I want to see French comics. And I still remember, uh, going to, I mean, they they have French comic stores, but, um, these albums are also sold in, you know, uh, the equivalent of, you know, bookstores and also like FNAC, you know, places that are electronics and everything else. Yeah. And, you know, I was just diving into them and I was just buying them like crazy and uh, shipping them back to the States when I left. And, you know, it really is a shame that, I mean, I do see more translations than in the past. Mm. I mean, Humanoids has a good program now. Um, You know, they're getting this stuff out, which they didn't seem really able to do before the
0: Stuff that's produced. I mean, I've, I've literally just been over to uh, come over from the been over to the continent, been to uh, France and Italy, and some of the books. You, you know, you, you mentioned that they're in all kinds of stores. They they are literally for set, some of these great editions of these. I actually saw a French edition of um, the Barons in what is, for all intents and purposes, a, a supermarket. You know, that this is out there in the public over there. That there isn't a there is. You know, there's, like you say, there are specialist comic stores, but it's just part of their culture. Um, and unfortunately, I don't speak other than you know a translation. I, I need that translation. And there's so many books I pick up, and I think the art on this looks amazing, and the story seems interesting, but I can't read it. Um, and there's so many classics as well that are just sort of, sort of like you say, are so difficult to get hold of. I'd, I've never seen like an English translation of um, uh, *Danger Diabolique* or uh, *Dylan Dog*, or um, there's a couple of others that just sort of like you know you think these really should be. More in the forefront of the comic, uh, you know, the, the, the comic community. Yeah, and, and even stuff
1: like, you know, Corto Maltese, you know, mm. you have to really track down uh, the volumes and they tend to be expensive. But I, I remember going through Italy and uh, I was picking up Italian comics, uh, you know, these pulpy, kind of racy comics at train station. Mm. You know, you're in a train station and you see them. And it was so, also so refreshing in France. Um, seeing people read comics that I knew of just in cafes and on the street and, and uh, on the metro and there's much more of a, you know, it's almost a, a little closer to Japan in terms of how accepted comics are as literature is something that you would pick up um, and in fact, you know, like the, the number one comic in the world is probably Asterix, yeah. um, you know,
0: It isn't it? I, mean, asterix, I know asterix from when I was a kid. It, you know, I knew the cartoons, I knew the comics, and I, th- I always just assumed it never occurred to me as a child that yeah, this is a French comic. And then it wasn't until I was older that they were like, oh yeah, yeah this is asterix of Gaul, and Gaul is France, and these are actually from a French thing. And the same with like Tintin. You know, I knew Tintin yeah. comic Tintin. But I, I loved Indiana Jones as a kid, so I started reading Tintin. And then there were like someone uh, when I was only when I was older, that was like, oh yeah, this, these are Belgian comics and. There's so much, you know, and so much imagination in in uh, in this European comic culture that I do think gets overshadowed a little bit by, um, you know, even by they say by the Japanese. Like you know, manga took off hugely, um, and I, I'd, I'd love there to be a, a surge of European comics in a similar way.
1: Yeah, and and I would. Uh... I would as well, and I, and I kind of have mixed feelings about that because I, I grew up reading manga, mm. and, you know, I love the manga, but, you know, it is strange that, um, you know, we are really, you know, I really see the U.S. and, and Europe as, you know, essentially one culture. Mm. Um, you know, and I have a lot of affinity for Europe. I have a lot of affinity for the EU, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, get rid of the dollar and put us on the euro already. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a whack job in that respect. But also growing up with uh, being an outsider who saw uh, comics as a literary form of art, Japanese comics are so decompressed, and there are certainly masterpieces um, that are fantastic, but, the, you know, so many are just thousands of pages long, and they don't have that same sort of literary lingering on the page thing. Mm. And the French, um, have gotten a little more like, you know, it's the same way that if you look at American comics from like the sixties, you just think, Oh my God, why do you need all these captions? Yeah. Um, and, and that's changed. So we've kind of like shifted a little more towards the decompressed Japanese style, but not, you know, not as far as like having 10 pages of a guy walking down a hallway. Mm. But, um, But, you know, in in France, they're much more compressed still, even than America.
0: And I think it does influence. I mean, you know, it's it's there, and I think there have been, um, you know, there have been opportunities for it to influence things. Um, you know, like just last year, um, Valerian and the you know, the city of a thousand okay. planets, um, unfortunately, wasn't as successful as it probably deserved to be. But obviously, again, based on a French comic um, from originally come from, I think this, you know, the the sort of. Uh, early 60s and through and, and having read a couple of those volumes and those albums again it's clear like you know how many things have been influenced by oh, yeah. by that book so you get like valerian influencing and even uh, george lucas admitted that you know valerian was a was a clear influence um and it influenced um uh, luke bassan obviously you know to make the fifth element and then obviously uh, and to make valerian itself oh, yeah and I think even, but when you read this, I mean, the Meta Barons as well is, as you say, is like a, it, it's like a Star Wars, it is a saga, I mean, this is a saga, you everyone talks about the saga, you know, the the, the Star Wars saga, the, the the Skywalker saga, this is the, uh, you know, the, the Meta Baron saga, is like a Star Wars story, turned up to 11, I mean, um, oh
1: yeah, uh, and, and also written for adults, um, you know i i mean i think that you know i mean i i like star wars but uh you know and and meta barons has silly elements in it mm. too but i mean star wars is is very kid friendly and that's another thing that differentiates french comics is that um you know while there are a lot of com you know we talked about Asterix and Tantin, um mm. but there you know meta barons is definitely
0: not for kids right I mean, oh god no yeah, I can I, I can understand why this was censored when it was reprinted in the states and others. It's yeah, there are things in here that uh, it, it's yeah, it's. I was thinking about how to describe it, and I was just thinking it, it is it is a space opera, but it's like a proper opera. Like this, I could imagine this being an opera. Like there's so much like over. Um, it's not excessive, but like you know, there's over emotion, everyone reacts incredibly at heightened emotions, and it results in some incredibly insane acts. And, um, but then, and then in Jimenez's art, like you know, the female form is represented a lot. And, um, yeah, this isn't for kids, but I would still recommend it to anyone that wants to read these kinds of comics because it's, um, it's, it's amazing. This is, this is a, uh, um, I'm, uh, I was interested because so when this when this was originally released the Incal was obviously produced in the I think in the 80s yeah yeah so this was this originally came out in sort of early 90s from 1990 onwards i think it took them like 13 years to produce uh, quite a lot of it um, this this that sort of again that that sort of you know the painted artwork of, of Jimenez um, is very much of the time I feel you know, sort of reading it. I mean, I haven't read the Incal yet, and I really should. Um, it reading this, that first volume especially. I was reading the first volume, and it really, it felt to me like this would have fitted in with with two thousand AD at that same time. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a ball to the wall sci fi um, space opera, and then a beautiful painted. Um, artwork that you know I could imagine appearing in a sort of like a sci-fi anthology, especially like 2000 AD of that time. But I even think it was slightly ahead of that because I think you know, 2000 AD didn't really start introducing uh, painted color until about ninety three, ninety four. So right, it but it's yeah, it feels really sort of um, slightly ahead of its time, but really relevant. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I
1: think so too. I mean, I think that I think that every time you know you give meta to somebody you know they're they're kind of like reluctant at first mm. and then maybe by the end of like the first you know the first volume or or halfway through the first volume they get it and the story just propels you along so you want to read like where is it going this is yeah. completely whack this is so crazy it's so over
0: is a really good word for this I think because the, the artwork on this is so um, it has a, a texture but it has a weight to it like everything has a weight to it it just feels solid um, and the expressions on people's faces um, you know r- run the gamut from being incredibly subtle to just being you know really over the top um, it is incredibly experimental but the colours as well like you know there are some times where it's it's tone perfect. Like in, in some cases it's muted and there's lots of browns and greys and stuff. It's not unclear, but then there's other places where it's like crystal blues and greens and whites. And it's just like, his art direction across the piece is, is you know, it's really well thought out. It never feels rushed. It feels like every panel and every page uh, is considered along with the story and the story that, you know, that, that's being told um it, it, the this feels like a collaborative piece is how I think I find I'd say, I'd say you know put it together
1: yeah and I, I often think of the um you know there's that marble planet early on mm. um where you know uh Jimenez is doing those kind of marble shades of kind of like blues and off-whites kind of cream and blue and and you just see sort of like ribbons of caverns mm. and you know and they're just beautiful to look at and there's no outside of some blue tones there's no real like a uh, bright red or kind of stand out electric color or anything but there's a subtlety to it that is just beautiful uh and of course then also you know it's potentially sexualized with you know the sort of you know ribbons of, of curving caverns
2: mm. um but uh yeah, I agree with you, and, you know,
1: I mean, you go from a page that's sort of very muted to, like, uh, you know, a page that's all entire fleets of spaceships that, you know, you just want to marvel at.
0: Yeah, and that's it, and that's the thing, that like, there's, you know, there are panels that, again, that, that first opening, and not like you say, that first volume um, starts at a pace, then lurches forwards, um... And then all of a sudden, like you say, it rockets along, and you've had these you know, this marble planet that's like beautiful colours and things. And then, like you say, you get space operas, and you get things like uh, carnivorous space whales that are being used as a spacecraft, um, and, and and you know, along with space rockets over a golden world where the emperor, emperor and empress live, um, you know, on this. It's, it's incredible that sort of like you know, these the, the design on these things is is, is nuts um, and it couldn't be, maybe, well, this is a truly thing where it couldn't be filmed, it's it's truly crazy
1: well I mean two things here, one is that you know like like in the same way that like Valerian influenced Star Wars Jodorowsky's experience on Dune really influenced um, in Cal and you see that influence in Meta too mm. so I mean the wider universe in which Meta is set is one that's very oh so, definitely you know, yeah the other thing I was going to say about like that, that kind of like pace is you know you often hear people saying about Kirby that you know every page of Kirby has some crazy idea in it mm. and, I, and I always think like well that's true but usually those ideas aren't like fleshed out or they're not like really integrated with the story um, sometimes they are and, and I dig Kirby as much as the next guy but Sometimes it's like, well, you know, it's a computer that's alive, which just kind of thrown in, and you think, you know, how is this part of the story? Mm. Or, you know, so, I mean, people have this idea of, and like, people sometimes say the same thing about Grant Morrison, that, like, there's that idea every page, um, and then people argue over whether the overall story is balanced. Yeah. And I feel like with Meta Baron there is a new idea every page, and... And it, it, the story is entirely dependent on that new idea. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, it's just the story's just going to flip on its head every few pages, and a, a new crazy idea is introduced that that I just go with. I mean, it's just an experience reading that you just kind of have to submit to it and go with on this roller coaster ride.
0: Yeah. No, uh, and I think you're right because I think that's a, it's it's you either buy into it or you don't. I think with this, it's an all or nothing kind of book. I mean. The one the one thing to highlight as well is I read it and I've only read the first four volumes of an eight volume series, so you know, I'm I'm still working through it. And like I say, it, it's although it rockets along at a pace, it's it, it's so dense you sometimes have to go back and just double check things or you know as you're working through. But the whole thing uh, sits in uh, sits in a framework. Of, although this is a sort of a generational saga, it's being told between two droids, um, Tonto and Lothar. That that work for the current existing Metabaron, the one that had appeared in Incal, and it's you know over time you learn things about both of these robots. That uh, you know Tonto has been a uh, has a has been a servant of the the Meta Baron generation after generation, and Lothar's relatively new. And but it's Tonto that's telling Lothar the story, and and every time it stops for them to take a break to sort of do something else, the the, the issue or the volume will end on it on a in some cases, a literal cliffhanger. Um, and you are, you, you are Lothar, the sort of, you know, the sort of, the story, the droid that's being told the story. And you're like, no, tell me more, tell me more. What, what's going to happen next? You just, what's going to happen next? So, you know, you're burning out my diodes. I'm that curious. I'm that excited. Um, and I love that, that, you know, you are, you, you are, you're agreeing with him and you're part of this sort of like framing narrative that's sort like, of, you know, he's like, no, 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 we can't do now. I've got to make dinner because, you know, the Metabaron's going to be back soon. Stop you messing around. Um, and it's it's a great framing device because otherwise it would just stop, you know, the story would just sort of stop on a panel and you'd be like, oh, what's going on? But this framing device gives you that sort of ability to sort of tell these stories in a volume um, format, uh, and you know, it, it it does make you keep going, you know, turn the next page, keep getting to that next volume. So, um, you know, I mean, what yeah, do you I think? I love that Raimi device too, and in fact, I was
1: thinking in, in preparing for this podcast that you know I think that those two droids are up there with C three PO and R two D two as kind of like droids that I love, um, and they're very comic. You yeah. know, they're uh, you know, um, you know, they have a weird kind of like obsession with sex uh, that's very strange. Yeah. Uh, they're definitely really into the story. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're very, very charming. I mean, you, you
0: really, uh, you know, come to feel for those droids. Yeah. They're, they're, again, things being fleshed out, they're, they're becoming, I mean, even for me, like, you know, as, as I'm working through it, they're becoming more and more like fleshed out characters. You know, there's a, uh, Tonto as a droid has a real loyalty to this, uh, this family, you know, this, this clan of the, uh. The Kastarka clan, or whatever these Metabarons, are like he's deadly loyal to these, and feels a real responsibility for you know uh, protecting them and helping maintain them, um, and then as you learn the things that he's been involved with, like directly involved with some of the story, you start to understand why he is this dedicated to them, um, and it's yeah, and that
1: continues. I mean, you know, and that that framing sequence continues, and it kind of comes full circle by the end Mm. um but uh you know it also like from a historical standpoint i forgot to mention there's a there's a three-volume Kusaka uh prequel but um uh anyway um there's a uh uh it kind of comes full circle by the end and i always think of how that framing device also for readers who were Yeah. Oh.
0: in fact it's sort of it's come to that point now in, I'm in volume four and there's an exact moment like that where he, lothar does stop him and says he says well that can't be true that can't have happened because if that happened or that what i expect to have happened um but we you know that we wouldn't be here that that, that would mean that the the current meta baron isn't a descendant of these people and tonto like literally berates him and he's like don't be so stupid you know, you you know this for, to be fact. So stop stop questioning these things. Just go with it. Like he, it's almost like he is that. You know, they are Tonto is speaking to you as the reader. You know, like you say, where you are questioning. You know, John has really written himself into a corner here. Um, this character doesn't have a head. So how the hell can this carry on? Uh, and, it, and Tonto is like, don't worry, <laughs> don't question us. It's gonna get there. Well, I think that's like you imagine like
1: how we're doing all these prequels now, right? I mean, yeah. you know, post Batman ends and the James Bond reboot, and you know, every Marvel story is being introduced, and you kind of get like you know all these prequels, um, and a lot of times they're kind of like by the numbers, and they're not scary because you know you th- you're not scared for the protagonist because you know he's got to be in the following film. Mm. And in Meta Baron, it's like, no, anything can happen. You really feel like anything can happen, even though you know it's got to get to the, the current Meta Baron at some point. How this character survives or, or how the line continues when somebody doesn't have a head or, yeah. you know, um, somebody is incapable of reproducing or something like
0: that um, is just uh, mind-boggling. It is, yeah. The other thing I say is, like, no one is safe. In this series, like no one is safe, um, and like yeah, people come and g- when I was first reading it, like the, you're introduced to an entire family to begin with, um, and yeah, it's not really spoilers, but they're in, they're quickly like obliterated, <laughs> so that there's mm-hmm. one person left, and you're like, wow, that okay, well that they were that wasn't really. I, I thought at least some of those characters would uh, see out the first volume, but clearly not. Um, <laughs> It's, it's like that and I do I do sort of feel like I know that there's a character at the end of this that you know the, the current meta baron that's got to come out of this um, but yeah I, I, I still have questions I can't wait to get into the second half of this just to, to see how some of these things are answered because it's, as well there are certain rituals that uh, to, in order to become the meta baron uh, through the first couple of generations like certain things have become like a, a rite of passage. Just through almost uh, circumstance, you know these aren't agreed. These weren't set up. These are just happened. Like you know, in order to become the Meta Baron, you end up having a certain element of cybernetics, um, and you have to kill your own father in order to take the mantle of the Metabaron. So you have to sort of meet them on, like, you know, into one-on-one combat. Um, but the ages of this seems really like uh, there are. I mean, children. Children are, are for want of a better phrase, mutilated in this series. Yeah. Um, and it's uh it, it's, it's, there are times when you do sort of is this gonna to, is this gonna go too far? This this can't go any further. They've reached they've clearly <laughs> they've clearly they've reached the line. This can't get anywhere. Oh no, they've okay they've done that now. That's got to be the line, and it just it keeps pushing those boundaries of. Uh, um, like you say, not, I'm not going to say um, it's never in bad taste because it's never done for gratuitous purposes. It all seems to fit the narrative. It fits the story. But, yeah, th- that level of sort of like, you no, know, we're going to push the boundaries as far as we can go with this and you're going to have to accept it because it's all part and parcel of this of this massive narrative. Right. Um, and I think that's wonderful. Um, and, yeah, so...
1: I guess it's here that we have to, we've kind of run up against, like, I mean, I think that Jodorowsky, you know, has been um, obviously celebrated, especially after the Jodorowsky's Dune documentary, but especially in comic circles, uh, you know, at least among, you know, my friends, Jodorowsky is kind of like someone who you mention um, a bit cautiously, because He's got a reputation for um, having female protagonists be raised as part of their journey, and especially with the sort of like Me Too thing, um, there's been a kind of backlash against Chodorowsky, and and that stuff is there. Mm. That stuff is there in Meta Barons, it's there in his other work. Um, definitely, if there's anything that's gratuitous, it's a little bit of the nudity. Um, and. Obviously, Meta is about a clan of predominantly male warriors um, who torture their kids, you know, as part of their their ritual. I mean, you know, the idea that you've got to kill your father just to please your father. I mean, there's some twisted Freudian stuff going on here. Um, And so I think that, you know, I haven't heard as much criticism of Meta as they have of, of some of these other works, but... You know, trigger warnings are there. um, That you
0: know, that stuff is is present. Oh no, I agree, and I think if you were to be if you were if I don't want to sort of be sexist here, but I could I could understand if a female reader was to pick this up, there would be more cause for offence. There are a lot of female characters in this, central female characters that, while they do sort of they have a character and um, they have a, str- a strength in many ways that their, their general sole purpose. And the thing that usually brings them down is in order to basically further, you know, the family is to, to have have children, you know, right. so yeah. uh, there's, and, and, and there's this big obsession with, you know,
1: having kids and having a male son and, and passing on the Meta Baron's lineage and, I mean, I will say that the women tend to be powerful. There aren't a lot of, um, you know, wilting violence. Um, But you're right. I mean, they are defined largely by procreating to produce this male heir to this.
0: Of, again, it's it's um, it, it comes down to that question as well. Though, sort of yes, you know, Jodorowsky clearly has his opinions uh, and his thoughts on uh, gender politics and other things. Um, but it does, like you say, it doesn't mean you have to agree with those opinions and politics to enjoy this story. Um, you know, the women aren't damsels in distress, as you say. They're very strong women and driving a lot of the, the a lot of the story forwards. But the yeah, there is there's um, there are there there areas I think that could touch touch a nerve. Um, oh yeah. But there's also a strange well, thing, I mean the centre of all this, really, the centre of the early stories at least, is a big part of the story is driven by the empire and a a religious techno sect that exists yeah. That's looking to produce what they consider to be the perfect ruler. That is to be androgynous, is to be hermaphrodite, uh, and there's almost that idea to be es- escape from gender. So it's it's an odd contrast yeah. in that sort of those fixed gender roles that some of the main characters have. But then there's also drive to create a genderless ruler because their scene is almost the ideal as well.
1: Right, and that and that comes into the that continues to be a part of the plot going forward. Mm. Um, there is this strong kind of privilege of uh, someone who is escaped from gender, as you say. I I think that is, you know, um, a key to a kind of very different reading of the text that kind of highlights these gender roles and then says, well, the ideal is to escape from them. And even within the cast, um, you know, of Kistaka, the Metabarons all have some level of ambivalence Toward what's been done to them and what they must do to their own son. Mm. Um, so you know, it's not like everybody is just on board with this is a great idea to torture your son and have him kill you. Yeah. Um, and you know, the other thing that's interesting is, I mean, Chodarovski has some you know weird ideas. He, he's been very into the tarot. I mean, I think that's one of the things that that drives the Incal down for me is how much it. Indebted to the Terra, mm. but he also has an idea of psychiatry as playing out uh, through generations. Mm. So, so you know, the idea is that you inherit your your father's traumas, and you have to work them out. And there's a kind of intergenerational psychology that that play here. And I think in Metabaron's you know, that comes out more than in most of his other works. And I think that while I don't believe that there is literally a, you know, like you're inheriting somebody's psychological trauma, you are raised by that person. You, you are working out some of these family stories. Um, and I, I do think that that is, is a resonant and interesting idea, and that comes into play too with the sort of uh, how do I escape This hyper masculinized sort of clan with its rituals, um, you know, that's been set up for me by somebody who was
0: traumatized, yeah. And that's the other thing to highlight, actually. You're right, because it is these characters, these these meta barons, aren't they're they're never particularly depicted as um heroes, you know, these aren't heroic, um warriors these aren't sort of like your superman or even like in a, in, a, in a space context these aren't luke skywalker or even darth vader these aren't you know this isn't a clean cut hero this is just a person who the metabaron isn't like a heroic title it's is it's, it's actually just a hereditary title that they get and then each generation will choose to use it in different ways um, like you say they are the best warrior the most fierce and violent or you know whatever warrior for that generation um, but they're also one generation. You know, they are a mercenary, or they'll just pick a cause, or in many cases they're just fighting for themselves, and they will, you know, commit near genocide just to, just to achieve their own. Uh, in some cases, quite selfish uh, aims, really.
1: Yeah, that's very true. I mean, that, that is important to point out that. I mean, they certainly. It never occurred to me, but the, of course that heroes. Um and and because they all have they're all kind of like you know, it's interesting the way in which we we rebel from our parents and mm. we also mirror them in other ways. That each meta baron, some you know, some didn't particularly want to be Meta Baron. Mm. Um you know, but they they still are. I mean they're still defined by you know, their parents' values to one degree or another, or they rebel against them in other ways and redefine what the traditions mean that they inherited.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, that's, it is interesting to see that sort of generational thing go on and on. They they, it's, it's, they rebel, but they never like give up the mantle, which is, uh, you know, they, they never fully walk away from the thing of being, All right, well, I'm, I will never be or I will not be. You know the Metabaron. They always retain that title, but then try to try to redefine it if they wanted to. Um, I I I right. That that kind of culminates in
1: you know um, in the final Metabaron. I mean, there there definitely is a kind of end to that saga Mm. of you know how how you. Through all of this and how you define yourself as a meta Baron and, and within this kind of gendered construct,
0: I don't want to spoil. No, no, no. I'm yeah, don't, yeah. Cause I'm really looking forward to seeing how this all pans out. Um, I, if you were to so, you know, that I think we've mined it in in so many ways because there's so much here to unpack. I mean, like you said about the ideas that are in this. I mean, it 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 lives in a in a. Um, the universe in which this story takes place has got like, a, there's an empire as well, isn't it? So is that empire construct, does, does that exist in the Incal as well? The sort of the idea of the emperor and the empress and, uh, this, the techno priests yeah. and all that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. The techno priests are, are part of the Incal. There's also, you know, a sort of, uh, female sorcerer cast that, that is like in, in Dune. Um, there are these different, you know, sort of factions, um, that that are kind of borrowed from Dune. The techno priests. Actually, there's a whole separate series about them. That.
0: Getting this massive saga sort of following following the meta barons you're still only getting a glimpse of the whole. You know, you're still only seeing a part of that whole universe. They sort of uh, the characters sort of like dip in and out of that um, society or that central sort of like you know uh, social structure. Uh, you know, they'll go off and exile themselves or they'll do something else. Um, And it's always, for me, reading this and having not read the ink and everything, there there feels like there's so much more um, out there. Like, I'm only getting glimpses of what's going on in the greater universe. And it's so enticing just to think, like, you've got the Meta Bunker, which is the sort of the Meta Baron's uh, mobile home, for one of the better phrase. Um, And, you know, it it exists on this sort of planet. um, And every time you see it and you see Lothar and Tonto talking, there's obviously a planet going on around it. But at no point we really introduced or so far at least introduced to lot what's going on in that planet. I don't know what like, a Joe Bloggs does on so and so planet or how trade works, all this other stuff. And it's just fascinating to find think that like this is just one element of this grand um, universe.
1: Yeah, and I think part of that is is the way in which uh Jodorowsky throws off ideas in the series that, you know, they're filled with that stuff. But part of it is is Exactly as you say, that, you know, that there are all of these kind of, you know, other sets of characters who you could have told the story about. And, you know, uh, I mean, I guess Megalax was a three-volume series. It's not very good, but it, it occurs in the same universe. Mm. And, you know, I think in Meta Baron, like, you know, there is a kind of ambivalent relationship to that larger universe that the Meta Baron is. Sometimes, you know, working as a mercenary, sometimes, you know, in in favor of the Emperor, and and sometimes not. And, you know, you get the sense that he is such a great warrior, that he is scary to the Empire, but, you know, still outside of it. I mean, he's he's not in the hero.
0: they say nobody's safe nothing is safe and yet they say they will they will work their way out of their uh, work their way out of that corner in the most inventive way um if you if you were to reckon well, I, I do recommend this to people um you know like you say if if you've read and enjoyed the dune series i would suggest that this is you know this is something worth checking out but who else would you recommend this to you know what what other associations would you would you uh with it? Well, I I definitely associate it a lot with Star
1: Wars because two people in the universe that that would appeal to. But, um, you know, they're probably on 4chan or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it has that science fantasy genre uh, to it. And so I would recommend it to anyone who digs science fiction and and maybe gravitates towards the science fantasy side of it. What yeah. about you?
0: No, I agree. I think I, I was thinking, I, I really sort of, um, you know, try to have a good think about this. And I was, I was thinking about all these... Other, even I even thought about Game of Thrones. You know, it, it's it's set oh, yeah. in space, but it's very much a similar. The complete, you know, there's that sort of political complexity and the generational thing to it. It has that same ring um, that that's that I think would appeal to anyone who's sort of a, a fan of George R. R. Martin's work, uh, the books in particular, rather than the, maybe the TV show. But uh, that sort of side of things, I think, it would definitely appeal to those. Um, I like what said before, though. Yeah, a, you know, this that,
1: is... A, no, go on. Yeah, that's a great call. I, I
0: mean, I had thought of that. Uh,
1: but, yeah, I mean, given Game of Thrones popularity because of HBO, I mean, you know, viewers of Game of Thrones are going to have, um, you know, a, a interest in the generational stuff and, and not being averse to the violence. Mm. And... You know, so that, I mean, that is right up, uh, Meta Baron's alley. In fact, I could see, you know, if Meta Baron's were ever to be adapted, it would have to be, you know, as like an HBO miniseries or something. Oh, yeah. So you we're going to say something
0: else? Or? Uh, yeah, no, I was going to say, one of the things I, I like that you said, though, is about, you know, this has been a science fantasy, and, um, even in the first couple of volumes, there's, there's some stretches of time that just don't seem to add up. Like, there's expansive, uh, like, stretches of time, and, the mo- the only way I could sort of, you know, you said about being so- hard science fiction and, and fixed in, you know, certain uh, justifications or explanations, and I sort of, I had to give myself an explanation for this in that, because this is being told as a story between two characters, uh, droids or whatever, but because it's been told, it's being embellished, so I take it mm-hmm. that like everything that's happened in the past, um, it, it's. It's you know it is that extra level it is that excess because it's being told as a story, um, and so I, I always sort of wonder sort of how much of a um, of a you know is is how much of the narrative is actually the character of Tonto embellishing a little bit you know to make it a bit more exciting and you think actually could it, if this was toned down it would probably bit be, be a bit more sort of. Um, you know, acceptable and likely, but because it's got embellishment, it reads like those legends you'd have of sort of like, almost like um Norse mythology or Greek mythology or you know those sorts of things. It feels like a mythology that's that's built around these meta barons, and so it's told through an oral uh, tradition that you know they do there are embellishments, and if the character Tonto was to tell this again to somebody else, he'd probably put a little bit more of a spin on something else or you know, focus on something else or whatever. So I don't Yeah, think... I
1: absolutely love that. I mean, I, I love what you're saying. And I, I, I think that is very true. I mean, the sort of like I mean Tonto swears that it's the truth, but mm. um you know, there's room to see him as maybe not a perfectly reliable narrator. Yeah. And yeah, I mean and and I love what you said earlier about opera of the sort of you know, I often just think like, you know, early on, there's a, there's a woman who throws herself to her death. And I think, like, you know, you can base a whole story around these two pages, you know, mm. what, what led this character to this this moment. And here it is just, you know, uh, a few pages, it's done, um, and the plot just moves on. And within a few pages, you'll be in a totally different situation
0: but it, it all has that kind of heightened reality that it definitely is melodramatic. Yes, melodrama cuz uh, yeah. And that's it. It, it. it's it's fantastic melodrama. It's, it is perfect space opera. Um, and like you said you've just remi- you just reminded me that it just sort of like say the panels popped in my head and um, I don't No, I do want I'm not to spoil it really but that that scenario is a um, a woman throws herself from the, say, from the, from the, uh, the balcony when she's, she's been threatened, she's going to be thrown off, but she eventually jumps taking these two other people with her and she's saved by being shot with a, it's not mystical, I suppose, it's some sort of chemical that allows things to float, um, that was actually used to move large quantities of stone, um. And so, yeah, you, you like I say you end a page with her jumping off this balcony. You think, oh, my God, how is this going to end? Or you know, how can how can she die? Because this is an integral character. And she's she's saved by being shot with a dart full of a chemical that makes her float. And then they have to they have to rescue her because she floats off. Um, it's it sounds ridiculous, but it's so I was so bought into it and so in like, like in the moment that it felt incredibly important that she was saved. Um... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and even though it's totally ridiculous, I mean, they have established that kind of, like, anti-gravity fluid earlier. I mean, Mm. that's a
1: pretty important part of the plot. And, you know, even though it it seems ridiculous, like, I don't feel let down by it. I feel like that's a really inventive way of saving her, and it has its own problems that carry forward, and it's so much... It's not like, oh, she cut onto a ledge or something like a a, a typical bad cliffhanger yeah um, this, you know the solutions to these um plot problems of, of sort of painting yourself into a corner are always like that that they're always um you know pretty satisfying and, and pretty inventive and not what you would first suspect um but even though it's totally ridiculous, it feels internally consistent and, and satisfying in a,
0: in a strange way. Well, I think the thing is, you say, it feels satisfying because they never they never sort of... Um, it's never brushed under the carpet. Like, you know, okay, so she was saved in that way by a chemical that allows her to float, and so they rescue her. And as you say, but that then has consequences that then runs through the story for quite a t- you know it, it actually has impacts. that that moment that simple moment of a ridiculous you know way of saving her actually has incredibly um, huge consequences for the you know for the next part of the story and then they roll with yeah, it and, I, they, and well, they keep it going
1: yeah so you don't feel like you know even if you're inclined to think well this is this is ridiculous this is uh, amazing and convenient uh then you have a sense of, well, I, I guess for lack of a better sense, the word gravity, mm. you know, to what happened. Um, you know, that influences, that moment changes the whole history of the Meta Baron. And, you know, it's not just like a cheap rescue. It's like, well, this uh, is going to change everything going forward.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, we said before, like everything matters. Um, one of the things I think that, that, that a lot of. Um, of the c- current modern comic culture sort of suffers from is that, you know, there's so many uh, massive events, you know, mar- this is going to reshape the DC universe or the Marvel universe or believe us, this character is dead, all this other stuff. And you think, well, it doesn't matter because it'll all be retconned and brought back into line in a couple of weeks or whatever. Um, but no, in this series, like, things have incre- have meaning, have, it, have gravity, have impact. And so everything actually matters. Like as you're reading it, you learn, you know, you begin to understand that in this story, like everything matters. So you do pay incredible attention to everything that's going on, which is why it's so uh, dense. Like you, every, everything a character does is going to have an impact on something down the line. So um, nothing is thrown away. Nothing is um, nothing is fluff. Like you know, this feels like everything sort of is going to have an impact. If they make a decision, they've got to live with that decision.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and you even see stuff from, from earlier volumes that is having ramifications many volumes later um, in, in exactly that way. And, and I think that one of the great things the series does is exactly what you're saying, Scott, of like, um, you know, giving you the narrative thrill of, um, you know, somebody falling to their death and being saved or, you know, somebody missing a head, or or something like that,
2: Mm. you know, you're just amazed, it gives you that that same
1: joy that you feel in those great cliffhangers, in those great uh, moments in any story where, you know, you just have that kind of like visceral, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening, uh, sort of reaction, but then there are consequences to it, you know, it's not... Uh, it's the opposite of the sort of continuing narrative of, of DC or Marvel. Um, and, of course, you know, Jodorowsky doesn't have to do anything, right? I mean, he does, mm. he's not accountable to, you know, corporate uh, people and, you know, to uh, shareholders or to Disney or anything like that. And, and he couldn't function in that environment. No, um, no. But But I love that. You know, I mean, I, I think that sometimes I you know sort of look down on those kind of like dramatic narrative moments and and partly it's because they usually feel fake and nothing comes from them Mm -hmm. and i i don't care about i've learned not to care about them or to look down on them but here's a series that gives you that visceral joy and it has consequences and i can still experience that kind of visceral joy that uh, you know a kid feels when you know uh, Captain America's brought his guys
0: to fight Iron Man, you know. Yeah, no, I think I think you yeah, know that that's what separates this from. In fact, I wouldn't even put this in the same camp as I sort of say as those continuing narratives. For this is the more I think about it, and you know now having to mention sort of Game of Thrones, this feels more in line with the more uh, literary sort of like HBO or those kinds of TV shows. So I'm thinking, you know, like Game of Thrones, The Handmaid's Tale um a few things like that where you know they are they they are written to be proper cliffhangers and where they will hold on to those things and so people can die or be punished or you know decisions have consequences because you haven't got to you know you don't have that um need whether it be corporate or commercial to keep those characters around because they're the central characters you know, like with Walking Dead, right. it's the same thing. Like, you know, yeah, they kill characters off, but you know for a fact that like, we've had nine years of people kept saying like, well, will Rick die this year? No, probably not. You know, it, it may ha- it may happen, but it, you know it, I never feel that certain characters are under threat. Um, but then when you watch other shows, Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale, there are others that sort of can think of that anybody could be. You know, like you could lose any character at any moment. And it would, it would have that narrative and dramatic impact. Um, I feel that's in, this, this is in line with those, really. Um. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and it, it is that kind of, like, no-one-is-safe feeling you were describing earlier. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I often wonder, you know, I, I mean, as a writer, I think that, you know, I also marvel at the series for thinking of, like, as a writer, you know, when you think of like a, a uh, uh, painting yourself into a corner moment, um, you know, my instinct is like, oh no, well, how am I going to get out of that? Mm. Uh, you know, what is going to be the narrative impact of that? Uh, I tend to be very controlled. And I kind of marvel at how in the world was this written? Like, obviously, Joe knew you know, basically where it was going, you know, I mean, he had to know, like, we're going to get to the final Mer- Meta Baron, we're going to get to the guy from Incal. I mean, mm. you know, you're constrained in some way, but he has this kind of, like, perverse willingness to completely paint himself into a corner, and then and then go off in a totally different direction, and have faith that it's all going to work out, and all weave together as a kind of tapestry, and it does, mm. and, I, that blows me away because I know how scared I am as a writer
0: at each of those moves and he's making those moves like ten times the volume. Yes. I'd be fascinated to see that. Like you know, Was this intricately plotted out You know, where he, he knew every turn and twist that was going to take place or was it he just let it right and then when, like you say when he got to one of those moments where he'd, he'd written himself into a corner he'd sort of sit back and go that's an interesting way of doing things. Let's do that. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'd, right. I'd, I'd love to know that.
1: I've um, got to think that he did that. I mean, that he must have had a. Uh, and I I haven't read much about this, but that he must have had a kind of, you know, very general skeleton for uh, where he was going and, and, and how this stuff was probably going to play out. But it, it is exactly as you say. Like, every time that he gets into one of those situations, he seems to say, "Well, that's more interesting. Let's mm. go for that more interesting thing." In in a way that feels completely, you know, unhinged as a narrative. Um, that is so just mind boggling to to see. You know, there's a kind of like perversity that you need to to say. And that throws my entire narrative off. Yeah, but it's more interesting.
0: So let's do that. Um, it's it's really brave as a writer to think that that's you know he's because you. He, You could, I mean, you could lose, you know, you can lose people coming along with the story that will go, well, that's ridiculous or whatever. But to say he has that bravery and that conviction of his own um, content that, yeah, he is going to take that method and to to hell with anybody who isn't going to keep up, really.
1: Yeah. Well, and he's definitely, I mean, part of him being a a weird guy, I mean, I've seen interviews with him. There was an interview he did for Meta Barons when it was being released to the US where, the interviewer, um, I think it was when Humanoid was doing the censored, you know, early version. And it, it was like Humanoids is interviewing Joe So you're being interviewed by your publisher. Mm. And the publisher says, you know, is asking very basic, you know, reasonable questions. And he's giving like one word responses. <laughs> and, you know, he's just being so rude to this interviewer. And he's being rude to the, his publisher. And and I I remember one of the questions was like, you know, how do you feel about, you know, the censorship? And and when he does give an answer that's less than a word, I mean, that's more than a word, it's often completely inscrutable. Uh, You know, I mean, and his answer to the censorship thing was like, you know, when you walk amongst Philistines, you must dress like them or something. (laughs) It's like, he's so bizarre, but he he seems to have a, a kind of, and it, it comes out in Jodorowsky's Dune as well, a kind mm. of, like, perverse confidence in his vision, even when secretly he, he does it, or he doesn't really know what he's doing, but but he, you know, is absolutely committed to whatever vision it is that he, he's telling. And, and I think that is, um, you know, one of the things that I look for so much in fiction is just, Something that is so unquestionably itself, mm. and not like other things, and and doesn't
0: make those compromises. Um, so who knows? And even if Jodorowsky wound up talking about how he, you know, wrote Meta Baron, I wouldn't know whether to believe him or not. Yes, true. That's very true. Yeah, he, he would definitely be an unreliable narrator about sort of that that what what went on at that time, and he'd probably give different answers to different interviewers, and yeah. I agree it's that thing, though, isn't it? It's, it's having confidence and sort of almost a complete, or at least you know when you talk about it, a complete confidence in in what you are saying. And um, the more confident you sound, the more people are going to believe you know what you're talking about and will go along for the ride. So, it, I think he does. He's just he's just completely convincing that you know, yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing and uh, I knew exactly how this was going to turn out. And uh, anyone who questions me is just totally wrong. Um, yeah, and there's a weird way
1: in, in which that, that confidence kind of parallels the Meta Baron confidence, right? Like, yeah. like it's almost like Joe Dorowski has to channel his inner Meta Baron to just confidently stro- stride into these unresolvable situations time and time again and, and somehow resolve them and, and just have faith.
0: that's true i can imagine because i mean you know they're they're always called that people refer to the meta barons like the greatest warriors in the universe but no one calls them that apart from themselves yeah so there is that concept well no we are the meta barons we are the greatest warriors in the universe and i have no question about whether or not that's true or not it just is um and i kind of love that that like he's obviously get that same thing he's like no 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 the Metabaron series is exactly what it is. It's the greatest comic, and no one's going to question it. And you know, it's that's just what it is. And I'm going to put it out there and, and go for it. Um, yeah, I, I sometimes wish that you know, there's other um, images given people the opportunity to you know, creators to um, to give their version their own sort of like you know, their self published. Uh, stories and titles and we've got some great ones you know that again you can think of um i don't know if you've seen um jonathan hickman's uh uh, east of west was it west of east Mm -hmm. um again sorry go on yeah east of west east of west yeah um and i've read the first year of that but you know it's broken up into year things and again that's a crazy uh, massive universe with immense world building and some incredible science fiction uh, ideas in it. Um, and it's really worth visiting. That's another one I'd say is, you know, it's it's not on, on par for craziness, I don't know, um, but there's some great ideas in that. Um, but again, it's, it's it's told almost from the American perspective. It's a very American story. It's based almost around a sort of a science fiction Wild West. Um, and that's why I sort of think it's going back to what we were saying before is I would hold up Jonathan Hickman's uh work and some others as well as being fantastic ideas of that sort of um science fiction and going all out sort of science fiction space opera craziness but th- i'd love to see more of that european injection like you know, we've got that we've had that sort of japanese injection and there's uh, that sort of culture but i just love to see a little bit more of that european um idea and tone that you know would would, would really give a new Freshness to some of the some of the work that's being created.
1: Oh yeah, and and I think that you know what we were talking about earlier about how um, you know the, the especially the Franco-Belgian school, but how European comics are not more widely known. You know what what's really sad to me about that is that um, you know that's not as true of fiction generally. That's not true of novels, right? Mm. I mean, you look at what wins the Pulitzer Prize and You know, it's it's often not something that was first written in English. Um, But in comics, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of having these conversations. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, I work with some people who, you know, know great Korean comics and they know great, you know, comics from Indonesia. And, Mm. you know, some of these have run like, you know, 50 years. And you think, why have I not even heard of this? Yeah. Um, And it, it's just sad, especially because it's Europe, right? I mean, it's, it's next door. Uh, yeah. You know, how are we not having these kinds of conversations and cross pollination to mutual benefit?
0: It's true. And I think, yeah, I do think, you know, to, that's it. Mutual benefit is the truth. I think there would be some real great stories that would come out of it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Akira. Yeah. Um, and I think that story, you know, releasing its six volumes, sort of type thing, is held up as one of the, you know, it's one of those great um, comic liter- literature stories. It's it's a great story. I love Akira, and everyone's everyone's heard of it. But then again, like there are other books that I would say are on par or have similar ideas or great sort of like you know dystopian futures that I just think. You should go and find these things, but they probably haven't been translated, or you know, we, we, we don't have access to them. Um, and I'll still go back to the fact that, like, yeah, there's a, there's a uh, the Italian character, I think it's Italian, the sort of the diabolique uh, character, yeah. um, who is a fantastic. And I, you know, I, I, there was when I was in Italy recently. There are volumes of this book, like they're like you know, there's like pulpy um, sort of omnibus editions, and then there's like hardbacks and all this other stuff. And I was looking through it, and it's luscious art, with some really great black and whites from in the sixties, all the way through to sort of like stuff they did more recently. And it's all in Italian, and I'm sort of getting a gist of what the story is. But I'm thinking, oh well, I better I'm, I'm going to Google this. I'm going to see what I can pick up on Amazon or whatever. Nothing. It's yeah. It's you know. I'm thinking this is real shame. This is something that would be fascinating. Um, and to be honest, it's you know it's probably not known, but Diabolik is actually the character that he inspired um, Phantom X of the X Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so it's the the influences there, or at least the, you know. But it's it's the the original is still sort of not been um, given its due, which I think is a real shame. Yeah, it sure is,
1: and I think that you know um, there are so many cases like that where. Um, you know, there's still these undiscovered gems. I mean, I, I've been really into uh, Sergio Um, uh, mm. You know, and he's kind of been discovered by you know Americans, but it's still like you know on the on the outskirts. You know, I mean, there are editions coming out, which is great, but uh, but you know, I mean, it is sad that I mean, it, it, it's fine that American comics are dominated by by superheroes, but it is kind of sad that. I mean, obviously, with Image, like you were saying, there is that changing, and, and I love what Image is doing, especially, mm. you know, the last uh, decade or two. Um, but, yeah, it is sad that there isn't more diversity among, uh, you know, English-speaking comics outside of, you know, the, the manga sections and bookstores, which I guess are shrinking again.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it's... Uh it is interesting, we'll have to see what the future holds maybe something will be released, someone will take this whether it be this or something similar or another series you know, maybe Luc Besson will have another go or another uh, auteur director will give it a go and there'll be a boom because you know, the film takes off I don't know, That's, that seems to be the the trigger that could that could potentially draw this draw attention to these books but I think it's a case of wait and see really
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have been really enjoying, you know, IDW has a series of European translations. Um, You know, they're doing, they kind of took over the City Obscure translations and uh, they're doing, um, you know, other volumes and I've been really enjoying those. Um, And I I think that, you know, the older I get, uh, I still love comics as much as ever, but I'm reading a lot more of this stuff than I am, you know, the the newest DC or Marvel
0: event. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think this is one of the things that's sort of like I'm really glad you you know you, you put me onto this because I've really enjoyed it, and it is going to open up. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna get a copy of the Incal. I'm definitely gonna read some more. Uh, well, I'm definitely gonna finish the Meta Barons and I am gonna try out some of the other stuff. So. Uh, um, feel free to uh, email me a list of any recommendations you've got in this arena because I've really enjoyed this series it's been incredible to sort of that I hadn't heard of it I didn't know I'd heard of the ink but to know that there's more there to, to sort of uh, experience has been really fun well
1: it sounds
0: great I'll, I'll make a list for you that'd be awesome uh, we will I'll tell you we shall wrap up there and we um, uh, but we will be coming back and hopefully are you, are you prepared and ready to take on the next, uh, book? We, uh, I mentioned, um, judge dread America. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I chose that one. Uh, you may be able to guess. I chose that one for a reason. Um, I felt it was rather topical.
1: <laughs> well, yes. Um, sadly, um, you know, I mean, we do seem to be uh, headed to uh, Mega City One as, as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, but uh, we'll save that. Uh, and We'll get into that next time because it's a great story. I think it's one of the best. Um, it's one of the it's one of the top five Judge Dread stories for me, at least, of all time. So we'll uh, we shall get into that in the next in the next episode, I think. uh,
1: I'm excited and thank you I'm always so glad to be on and I hope that everyone contributes to your Patreon and and listens to your podcast and you know encourages you because I I love what you're doing and it it always gives me a thrill to be able to be on and and talk with you
0: and feel that that spirit that I I do feel no it's uh, uh, it's been it's always great to have you on. I enjoy it and actually you know say uh, listeners um Interact, and I I always appreciate when listeners uh, if they don't if they want to donate, it's it's amazing and hugely appreciated. And but then all interaction has been great actually, and uh, I've had a lot of positive, fantastically positive feedback about your contributions to the show. So uh, um, it's good to know sort of the uh, uh, the the show we did on um, uh, the killing joke and uh, our discussion of. Um, flash gordon has had some really good feedback so um it's 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 good to know that people are really getting into those sort of our discussions and that it's it's a good variety on some of the other contributors i have well that's fantastic and and i would just encourage listeners uh to make those comments and participate because i i know what they can mean to somebody doing a podcast yeah, let me know what you like, listeners, because you know if you like it, I can we can do more of it, and there's so much more to de- to delve into in films and comics and all kinds of things. So yeah, so it's been wonderful. So thank you very much for coming on, Julian, and uh, well, thank you, and uh, we shall catch up again for the next one. You enjoyed that conversation me and julian discussing our europe love of european comics and uh, the meta barons uh, great conversation always love it when julian's on the show great conversation great thoughts great ideas so hope you enjoyed it and uh, if you've got any ideas or any comments that you want to make about the meta barons or european comics or any topic that we've ever covered uh, please get in contact let me know uh contact us through email um 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com or on Twitter at 20thCenturyGeek I'm on Facebook I'm on Instagram all under 20thCenturyGeek and of course please find us on most if not all podcasting platforms iTunes and all the Catchers Stitcher uh, Freeplay all those ones that are out there try and find us out there uh, and, finally, if you want to go to iTunes, it'd be great if you subscribe, leave a five-star review. Those five-star reviews mean a lot to us. And if you don't think we deserve a five-star review, please get in contact with us and tell us why, and we can do something about it. But, finally, uh, we are on Patreon, and so if you want to throw us a couple of coffers our way, that is always welcome and hugely appreciated. So, thank you very much for those that do support us, and your uh, Patreon content will be with you soon. So,